Hello, and welcome to another episode of the CBO Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Donna Sheely. Happy that you could join us. Today, we're talking with Lori Herrick. She is the CFO at Abilene Christian University. Hi, Lori. Welcome. Hi, Donna. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are so happy to have you with us today. Well, first, we want you to tell us just a little bit about your institution, Abilene Christian University in Texas. Wonderful. So we we are a private Christian university, uh, no longer considered a small university. We have about um, 5,200 students. And so we are growing rapidly. We were recently reclassified Carnegie-wise into an R3 institution. So very excited about that. And we just had our, our having our welcome week right right now, as I'm sure many universities are excited to have our freshmen on campus kind of getting into the life. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's an exciting time. And now that I feel like we could say we're fully back uh, in school now and on campus. So I know it's very exciting. So you are um, leading now the CFO of all financial operations for both your Abilene and your Dallas campus. Is that correct? That is correct. So I am the CFO for the system. We're growing into a system. We're a baby system, but we are still a system. And so, yes, I hold that role and collaborate with constituents across both campuses to manage our finances. Awesome. So I do have to note right here that Lori is making history. She is the first woman CFO in ACU's history. And you're serving also on the senior leadership team. Talk to me a little bit about that and how it is maybe some of the challenges and some of the wonderful benefits of being the first woman in this role. Yes. Well, it's really pretty interesting. So this journey has probably been a long time coming because I'm I'm a motivated person. I'm I'm, it's never quite enough, right? I'm ready for the next step. But in part of that next step, I was very blessed to be able to join the Nikubo Fellows Program. And so as part of that program, they they teach you so many different um, characteristics, qualities, things that you need to, to have in order to be a successful CFO, CBO. And one of the common threads that I kept hearing within that fellows program was how difficult it is to be moved up into a CFO or CBO role within your current institution. And the statistics were even far worse for women to do that. And so within that program, I kept thinking, no, I'm not going to be a statistic. I'm not going to be a statistic. I'm going to be the CFO. And, you know, I walked through the program and it was wonderful. I highly recommend it for anybody that's seeking that. I received an opportunity to become CFO at a different institution, a sister institution of ours, and just kind of followed my heart and prayed a lot about it. And I thought I was leaving. And so, oh, "Oh, man, yep, I'm going to be a statistic. It turned out that a lot of people in the ACU community spoke into that and were not happy about that at all. And so um, it was Lubbock Christian, actually, and they had already sent out media posts 
uh, they had already notified newspapers. It was on the news, the whole nine yards. I was going to Lubbock Christian University and ACU really, really thought about it and offered me the position that I wanted. And so I am insanely blessed by it all. It was quite the roller coaster. Um, I do now, ultimately what I expressed was that I wanted a seat at the table. I don't just, not in name only. I want a seat at the table because I desire to be part of big decisions. I want to move the university forward. I don't want to just be, you know, doing the daily grind. I want to be part of the big conversations and I am, and I'm so grateful. That is so awesome. So talk to us a little bit more about how that conversation, if someone's thinking of that, they want to have a seat at a woman, especially wants to have a seat at the table and they may be reluctant to, to express that. How did you go about that? And, you know, how do you even prep yourself to even have those tough conversations? Wow, that is a great question, Donna. I will tell you, um, one of the other things that I learned in the fellows program is that oftentimes we find ourselves fighting the imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so that was something I was dealing with uh, because in my heart and my head, I thought, I'm not good enough. I can't do this because I don't meet this, 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 and this, right? There are, I don't check all of those boxes. And I have to tell you, um, as, as you've probably already uh, identified, I'm, I'm very strong in my faith. I, and I walk very closely with where the Lord wants me to be. And so one day I was just very distraught about it all. I felt like an imposter and there's just no way this is going to happen. And the only way it will happen is if the good Lord shows me favor in the eyes of those around me, right? But one of the things that became very clear to me during that prayerful time was that He equipped me. And I had to trust that. And I had to stop trying to be someone I'm not. And the minute that I stopped trying to be someone I'm not, and I started living into exactly who He called me to be, things changed. I became more confident. I became stronger in my ability to express what it was I wanted and that I could say, you know what? I do deserve it and I know I can do it. And just because I don't check this, this, and this doesn't mean I don't belong there. In fact, it's the reason you need me there. Wow. Wow. That's great. So, There was a lot wrapped around that, but I know so many of us fight through this imposter syndrome and it never fully goes away, right? Yeah, but you have to fight through that. You do. I love that. Let's go back to when you first started out in this journey uh, to where you are now. So when did you, you know, first start to think, okay, I want to be in higher education? Well, I am a CPA and certified fraud examiner as well. So I started out in public accounting. I was an auditor for 14 years and I did some tax accounting, but, but primarily auditing. And I audited governments, school districts and higher ed. Mm, okay. I happened to be at one of our institutions here in Abilene, uh, 
and it's my alma mater, actually, my undergrad alma mater, um, McMurray University. And they were seeking a director of student financial services. They asked me if I would be interested. And I told them, like any good auditor would, I can't talk to you until I'm done with your audit. It's a conflict of interest, right? But sure enough, they didn't hire by the time we finished. And so I decided, well, you know, I felt like I was being led to look at a different different situation, right? And so I interviewed and was offered the job on the spot. And that's how I got into higher ed. It was with my alma mater and so grateful for that. So I was director of student financial aid there for three and a half years. And then Abilene Christian came knocking um, because it's it's a small town and people talk. And um, so one of my previous co-workers was here and asked them to request that I come interview for the director of student financial services here. And so I did that. I was offered the job, was in that position for only a year, and then interviewed for the AVP role. Just after a little over a year, I took the AVP role and then was in that position for about four years, I guess, four and a half years, and was recently promoted to CFO in April. Awesome. Congratulations again. That's awesome. So talk to me about any surprises that you had as you, you know, now you're moving from auditor to (laughs) in this role of higher education. And, you know, what were some things that you were like, okay, um, this is different. (laughs) This is, you know, what were some surprises that you ran into? Well, I have to say this. It's a funny story for me. So any of my auditor friends will get this. But one of the first things that just caught me off guard was I was in the middle of my day working away and I had a panic moment because I was not tracking my time. Oh. <laughs> and so I was like, wait, I don't know what I did. Oh, I don't have to. I've just been working and that's fine. And I swear I had at least three of those panic attacks. So evidently time keeping in or billing, right, was a stressor for me. But I did. I had at least three mid midday panic attacks that I wasn't <laughs> keeping track of my time. But that was the first one. Yes. Yes. The other thing that I noticed, and I've I've been blessed to be a part of two Christian universities. And so having that as part of the mission has been transformative for me because I do believe in the mission and I believe in the passion. And so with that the passion within the universities for the mission, whether it's faculty or staff, it doesn't matter. The passion is real. And that that's huge to be a part of something, a community like that. And that's what that's the way I would put it. It's a community. Yeah. And how is that to work? Because not many people get to do that. They get to work in a place with, that lines up with their values and their mission. So how how is that for you? I know that has to be pretty powerful and impactful to be able to have that opportunity. It is. It is. We talk about um, fellowship a lot, right? Because you strengthen each other, you build each other up. And so to not only live, but to work in a community like that is huge. I am blessed to be able to talk about my faith openly, uh, which which we can't always do, just being respectful of others. And, and I get that. Um, but also, I can 
and and do actually lead devotions with my team. So once a week, we have a devotional. Uh, it's Zoom so that anybody can join wherever they are. And it's not mandatory, but it's an opportunity to just say, hey, how are you doing? Let's talk about this concept, right? This Bible verse. And, and does it speak to you? And it's just an opportunity to take a minute and breathe and relate to each other and walk it together. It's it's pretty phenomenal. Yes, that sounds sounds so. So as we talk about you, you know, transitioning into this position, I know that there may have been some some lessons learned, maybe some hard lessons learned along the way. Talk about something that a challenge that you may have had that was pretty a big challenge, but you got over it. So I will say one of my greatest challenges is still, I'm going to go back to that imposter syndrome. Yes, that's we can. Yes, (laughs) such a good topic. Yeah, it it really is uh, because I want people to understand that it is real but you can fight through it. And I will say I continue to learn this and continue to develop it. But because I kind of grew up in the weeds, if you will, I was doing all of the research. I was doing analysis and in the weeds and developing everything that when I came into this role, it wasn't like a flip of a switch, right? One of my greatest challenges is being able to get out of the weeds And to be able to look at, let's say, a presentation that I'm working on, to pull myself out of it enough to say, what would a layman ask me about this? Or what is the so what, right? So there have been a couple of times that our president, he is um, an exceptional businessman, very, very smart, very data driven. um, And he'll be like, okay, this is great data, but so Mm -hmm. what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's the so what and so i would say that's probably one of my greatest challenges is getting out of the weeds and coming back up to that 50,000 foot view to say okay so what because the whole point is to make a management call right to change something otherwise why do we look at the data if we don't tend to change anything don't bother do something else But you're looking at data because you are looking for confirmation or you are looking to change something. And so what does it tell you? What are you going to change? And so that has probably been one of my biggest challenges, pulling back up that 50,000 foot view and saying, okay, yeah, so what? Give me a direction. What are you going to do about it? I'm sure that's something that's also stretching you and helping you to grow in your role as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, I need you to tell us everything that you are over. What's under your umbrella? We need to know all of the services and everything that you are um, leading at Abilene Christian University. I don't have full scope of a CBO, but I do have student financial services is part of my team. Of course, finance, treasury, AP, purchasing, all of that. I also have uh, risk management um, as part of my team, as well as budget and analytics, financial budget and analytics, um, and the bookstore. And so I have that as well. So that's what my purview looks like. And what would you say is your baby? What is what is your area? <laughs> I like to say that. That you're like, this is my sp- I, of course, you love everything. Of course, we know. But there's, I know you have something that you favor more 
that you feel like is your sweet spot? What would that be? Well, I would say it probably is my sweet spot, but still the biggest challenge. And I would hope that others feel the same, but scholarshiping, student financial services, it is such a challenge to be able to build accurate predictive modeling, forecasting, to really understand how the packaging, the award packages are going to affect your student enrollment and get that nailed down. And then I'm I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but with the changing demographics, that's an ever-turning cycle, right? You're always having to evaluate that. And now with the changes in the FAFSA, that's a whole nother ballgame altogether. So I would say it is my baby. I don't know. There's always something to learn. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know there is. I know it. Well, let's go. Let's just dive into it. Let's talk about the current landscape of higher education and some of the talk about the changing demographic. Talk to us about some of the changes that you all are seeing uh, at Abilene Christian University. We are seeing a lot of the same things others are. We right now, our undergraduate enrollment is, is a challenge. It continues to wane as we expected it to. We all had high hopes, right? And everybody's got strategies to to fight that. But we've been hearing about the cliff for years. And so it is ever approaching. We had started our online campus, as you alluded to earlier, which is our Dallas campus. It, it does have a physical location, but it's primarily online. We started that back in 2015. And we've seen a lot of wonderful growth. But then when COVID hit, as I mean, I think it kind of either made made or broke, right? Some universities and how how quickly they were able to switch modalities. We were blessed to be able to do so quickly. And because we had an online presence, our online staff and faculty helped train the residential to help get them up to speed. And so we We were able to pivot really quickly, but what that also did was it launched an all-out effort. We put into play 12 undergraduate programs in the online space alone in the fall of 21 when COVID was full force, right? That was huge. Having that ability and that growth in our uh, online space has been pivotal for us. Um, And so that's helped us navigate a little bit of the cliff that's coming, but it's still not residential, right? And so many universities, I think, understand this when they have a residential bread and butter that it's, we're still fighting. Uh, We're still fighting for that residential experience because we know how important it is uh, to be able to be on campus and in the presence of students who are just like you and faculty who care about you. And it's just a very different experience and and we still believe in it. And so we're still fighting for that. Very much so. Yes, I like that. And so that's something that is, I'm sure, ongoing conversations as you are trying to prepare for the the cliff and, and moving forward. So I know that's something that everyone, like you said, is talking about right now. Well, let's talk a little bit about mentorship and talk to us about some of your mentors as being the the first woman in this CFO role. I know you had to have some 
wonderful mentors along the way. And then also talk to me about succession plans for you, because I know that you have some people that I'm sure you want to pull up and bring them to the table as well. So talk to me about your mentorship philosophy. I'm going to go back for just a little bit and say my mom, because my mom is one of the strongest women I know. She's about five foot nothing and just has all the spunk in the world. And so she's always been my biggest supporter and you can do whatever you want to do. Don't let anybody tell you different. But I would say specifically in this role, and I don't know that he would really agree with me about this, but he has been one of my biggest mentors. And it was, it's a gentleman that retired as a CFO from big business, from corporate business. He has been just so supportive in helping me think through what it is that I want, what it is that I see as valuable, but also helping me combat that ever looming imposter syndrome. It had nothing to do with gender. It had everything to do with who I was as a person and what I'm qualified to do. I also swore I would never get caught up on the the gender issue and whether, oh, I'm a woman. I'm the first woman CFO. Yes, it is a milestone and I'm honored. But I think whether, whether you're male or female, it doesn't matter. It's making sure that you understand you are qualified and believing in yourself. And so that is one of my hallmarks. I'm a trainer. I'm a developer. So in the strengths finders, right? One of my strengths is developer. And that's because I choose to believe in people. I choose to believe that everyone can learn if they want to, right? And they should be given the opportunity to develop themselves. And so that is one of the things that is so important to me is making sure that if there are any of my direct reports that aren't aren't feeling supported for sure, but also really want to accomplish something and they have these goals or am encouraging them to have goals, right? Right. I want to live into that. And so um, my controller, she she has been here for a long time. She is a history at ACU. And when I first talked to her about stepping into the AVP role, and this was a few years ago, because I've been I've been on this track for a while. I've been committed for a while. Oh no, I'm pretty happy where I am. I'm, but why? You've done this, you know this, and I know you like challenges. What's keeping you from it? Well, I don't want to do this, this, and this. And I said, well, let's talk about that. And so I have been able to work with her to address her concerns, some of her own fears, some of her imposter syndrome issues. And um, she is very excited about stepping into that role. And so we have a, a trajectory of how to get her there and different training opportunities, development opportunities to help get her there. And so that that is who I am. I want to build people up underneath me. I love that. I love how you questioned her willing to just stay where she was. And she was, you know, and sometimes we do that. We say, well, I'm fine. I like this. But for you to push her and say, well, why? That is such a great question. It's like, she might not even have thought, okay, well, yeah, I may not want all that responsibility, but to push people a little bit further and and to make them think 
outside of their box is huge. It's yes, huge. Absolutely. So that's, that's great. So uh, before we close, I want to talk about your future. What do you foresee yourself coming up in the next, you know, five years or so? What does that look like for Lori? So I already had my CPA, CFE, and I finished my CPA or my MBA, brother, about three years ago, um, and then went right into the Nakubo Fellows Program, right into the CFO role. And so my husband's like, why are you going to stop there? So <laughs> I, I'm toying with the idea of going on and getting an EDD doctoral in higher education. That is the logical next step. Don't know if I'm mentally prepared for it yet or not, but there's a whole lot I want to develop within my role. As, as I've mentioned, I'm transitioning out of another role. So there's a lot of training that has to happen underneath me so that my team is fully equipped and able to also advance and grow. And that's going to help me. And so my goal right now is to just just to get that to fully developed so that we are a an efficient team and that then I can help my boss, right? And so that's huge because when I can get that developed, then we're going to be able to produce meaningful management tools. We're going to be able to make good decisions and hopefully get out in front of the issues instead of trailing behind trying to figure out how to solve them. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, as we close, I, I feel like a, a lot of our theme has been dealing with imposter syndrome, which I think is really, really good. And so I feel that I know we have some listeners who are listening like, I, I have that and I don't know if that was good for Lori, but I don't know if I can do it. So I want you to give some final thoughts of just encouraging someone who may feel like I I just I don't know if it's if it, if I'm able to push forward and to become this college business officer that, you know, people say that I can be, what would you say to that person? Trust in your heart, trust in your gut that you can, you're not there by accident. I don't believe in accidents. And if you have worked your way up to a point in which you believe that is your next step, then step. Take the next step and don't let others convince you otherwise. Nothing is without a challenge, right? We And we're always growing and maturing and learning. And one of my favorite verses is iron sharpens iron, right? So one of the things that I was able to communicate and has been so clear was that just because I didn't check a certain box doesn't mean I don't check the box. I'm supposed to check. And so you don't have to be exactly like your boss. Your staff does not have to be exactly like you. In fact, you're a much stronger team when you are not all alike. And so take your skills, know what they are, and step into it. You can do it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Lori, so much for sharing with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Donna. And thank you for joining us today for this episode of CBO Speaks, brought to you by the National Association of College and University Business Officers. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Lori Herrick of Abilene Christian University, I want to thank you again for joining us on CBO Speaks. I'm Donna Sheely. Be well. 
CBL Speaks is a production of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. Audio engineered by Andy Nelson and True Story FM. Music by Michael Bean. Post-production support by Janelle Dempsey. And I'm your host, Donna Sheely. Thank you for listening.